Welcome to the Four Initiative Podcast. Our prayer for you is that this teaching fills you with the hope of the gospel and helps you follow Jesus today. In Romans eleven thirty six it says, For from him, through him, and for him are all things. It is for his pleasure that we were created, and we find our fulfillment and our purpose in bringing him glory and honor. See, your purpose is found in knowing the one you were created for. We are so glad you're here with us today. Let's jump into today's teaching. I remember the first time I shared the gospel at a backyard Bible club, and I gave the invitation to receive Jesus as Savior, and then a little boy raised his hand. I got to talk with him one-on-one using scripture to help him understand in greater depth what Jesus did for him and why he needed Jesus to save him from sin. That day, the little boy prayed a prayer of salvation asking Jesus to save him. And witnessing that was one of the most powerful things in my life. It was like a fire had been lit under me and I wanted to tell everyone who Jesus is. I knew at that moment if I would be faithful to share the truth of Jesus and people's need for him, then Jesus would do the rest and he would draw people to himself. I want to take you to a passage of scripture today that I don't often hear many people teach on, but another one that I believe God specifically has led me to for today. But before we go any further, would you join me in prayer with the words of Psalm 25, 4-5? Make us to know your ways, O Lord. Teach us your paths. Lead us in your truth and teach us. For you are the God of our salvation. For you we wait all the day. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, as I take you to Acts chapter 8, I want to give you some context for the book of Acts. So here are some things that you should know before we get to Acts chapter 8. The author of this book does not name himself, But all early Christian tradition attributes authorship of this book to Luke, who is also the writer of Luke. Some supporting evidence shows the book of Luke, books of Luke and Acts are both addressed to a man named Theophilus. Now Luke was not a Jew, but a Gentile, so he wrote with a much larger audience in mind. Luke wanted the good news of Jesus to not just be known to the Jewish people, but to all people. In the first chapter of Acts, Luke writes of how the Holy Spirit had not yet been given. Before Jesus ascended into heaven, he told his disciples in Acts 1, 7 through 8, It is not for you to know the times or epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. So you see right from the start that Jesus told them the power to be bold witnesses for him was not going to come from themselves, but from the Holy Spirit who is going to come and indwell them. Then Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit comes on the day of Pentecost. Now, the word Pentecost means 50, 
and it is celebrated exactly 50 days after the Passover. And if you remember, Jesus was crucified on the Passover. Pentecost was also called the Feast of First Fruits and the Feast of Harvest, which is actually quite fitting for what the Holy Spirit was empowering the disciples to do to bear fruit and bring in the harvest. In the next few chapters, you read of sermons that Peter preached and healings that took place. Then Peter and John are arrested and put in jail for preaching the gospel. The church in Jerusalem begins to grow, and God keeps adding to their number daily those who are being saved. Then you have... The fate of Ananias and Sapphira in chapter 5 when they are caught lying and then the apostles are put in prison. Chapter 6, you meet a man named Stephen who is added to the ministry to help care for the widows who were being neglected so that the apostles could keep on preaching. Then Stephen is falsely accused and he ends up making a defense for the faith before the high priest. But in the end, Stephen is martyred and stoned to death for the sake of the gospel. And Stephen is known as the very first martyr. One of the men who helped to sown Stephen was Saul, who then begins majorly persecuting the church at the beginning of chapter 8 as he drags off men and women to prison. So you find the church under major attack and persecution for the first time. But this was all part of God's plan. When you read Acts 8, 1 through 4, it says, And on that day a great persecution began against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Some devout men buried Stephen and made loud lamentation over him. But Saul began ravaging the church, entering house after house, and dragging off men and women, he would put them in prison. Therefore, those who had been scattered went through places preaching the word. So up until now in chapter 8, the church has remained in Jerusalem. But Jesus had instructed his disciples to take the gospel to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the remotest parts of the earth. Yet it seems that they were not fully doing what he said. It's almost as if God helped and gave them a painful nudge by allowing some persecution to happen so that his gospel would spread. It says that when persecution started, the church was scattered throughout Judea and Samaria preaching the word. That sounds more like what Jesus had instructed them to do. We get to Acts chapter 8 verse 5 and meet a man named Philip who began proclaiming Christ to the people of Samaria. Now we don't know anything else about Philip other than that he was a passionate, obedient follower of Jesus who was not afraid to take the gospel to the remotest part of the earth. And he started by taking the gospel and preaching Jesus to the outcasts, the people of Samaria. Now, if you know anything about Samaritans, the Jews hated them. Jews believed that the Messiah was only for them, even though they rejected Jesus. 
After Israel's fall to the Assyrians, Jewish people intermarried with the Assyrians and created what we know as Samaritans. So because the Samaritans were not full-blooded Jews, they were referred to often as dogs or half-breeds by the Jews. But none of this stopped Philip from boldly preaching the gospel to the Samaritans. We're going to pick it up in Acts chapter 8, verse 25. It reads, So when they had solemnly testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they started back to Jerusalem and were preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. In this first verse, you see that the Lord was blessing Philip's faithfulness to preach the gospel, and Philip had a very fruitful ministry in Samaria. But then we get to verse 26, and an angel of the Lord interrupts. The verse reads, An angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Get ready, and go south to the road that descends from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert road. Let's pause here for a moment and really grasp what just happened. So we know Philip is in the middle of a very fruitful ministry. Many people are coming to know Jesus as Savior. And then an angel of the Lord tells him, to go south from Jerusalem to Gaza on the desert road. What? This sounds crazy. Why would Philip leave a thriving ministry and go to the desert? The angel never even told him why he was going. He only told him to prepare and then to go. Pick it up with me in verse 27. It reads, So he got ready and went, and there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. And he had come to Jerusalem to worship, and he was returning and sitting in his chariot, and was reading Isaiah the prophet. Then the Spirit said to Philip, Go up and join this chariot. Philip ran up and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and said, do you understand what you are reading? And he said, Well, how could I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. First, I want you to notice that Philip obeyed immediately. He never questioned the angel. If God was telling him to go, then there was obviously something specific that he was supposed to do. He just didn't know what that was yet. And on this desert road, we find a man who's the treasure to the queen of Ethiopia. This man had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning to his homeland. We don't even know this man's name, only that he was a eunuch and treasure to the queen. On a map, if you look at Jerusalem you will see that Jerusalem is right in the middle of Samaria and the desert road back to Gaza. So Philip had left Jerusalem and gone north, taking the gospel to Samaria, and now he was headed back south past Jerusalem to a desert road. The Holy Spirit tells Philip to go and join the chariot. I love how Philip didn't even introduce himself. He just got right to the point of asking the man if he understood what he was reading in scripture. 
You can see the desire that this man had to know and understand the scriptures, but he needed someone to explain it, to teach him and guide him. Without hesitation, he invites Philip to come up into his chariot and sit with him. And the passage he was reading was from Isaiah. Continuing on in verse 32, it reads, Now the passage of scripture which he was reading was this, He was led as a sheep to slaughter, and as a lamb before its shear is silent, so he does not open his mouth. In humiliation his judgment was taken away, Who will relate his generation? For his life is removed from the earth. The eunuch answered Philip and said, Please tell me, of whom does the prophet say this? Of himself or of someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning from this scripture, he preached Jesus to him. Now, like we said earlier, there is an earnest desire from this man to know and understand the scriptures, specifically who these verses from Isaiah were referring to. And when he asked Philip to explain, it simply says that Philip used the scriptures and preached Jesus to him. Friends, that is powerful. And really, that feels like enough. No more to be said. Using the scriptures, he preached Jesus. Now those verses in Isaiah were a prophecy written many years before Jesus even came to this earth about what he was coming to do. Jesus was led like a sheep to the slaughter and like a lamb that is silent before its shear, yet he did not open his mouth. In humility, his judgment was taken away and his life removed from the earth. Jesus fulfilled this prophecy when he went to the cross willingly for you. He could have retaliated and fought back or called 10,000 angels to come to his rescue, but he didn't because he loved you. Jesus knew that offering his perfect life as a sacrifice was the only way you could be saved from the punishment for your sin that leads to death. These verses tell everything that Jesus did for you. Friend, have you realized and received the gift of your salvation that Jesus bought on your behalf? If not, do it today. Repent of your sin and confess that you need Jesus to save you. John 14, 6 says, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus alone is the way to the Father and to an eternal life in heaven. Come to Jesus today. The book of Acts has become one of my favorite books in the Bible because it clearly shows how the church was started and how it grew. Over and over in this book, especially at the beginning, you read of God adding to the church's number daily those who were being saved. And this was constantly happening because it says they were always preaching Jesus and repentance. Jesus and repentance. 
does not actually say that they were preaching God. It says they preached Jesus over and over. A lot of people will say that they believe in God, but they won't accept Jesus. The Jews believe in God, but won't accept Jesus as their Messiah. Remember, you only get to God the Father through his Son, Jesus. I remind myself all the time as my husband Jonathan and I lead the church in West Virginia that God has entrusted to our care to keep teaching and preaching Jesus and repentance. Because friends, if we are faithful to do this, then God will cause the growth. It's so easy to think that our words are what convict and challenge people's hearts. But I'm always reminded, my words don't have any power in them. My words aren't capable or strong enough, but God's words are. And even better yet, the word who became flesh, Jesus himself, was given all power over sin and death by God the Father. Do you want to see Jesus bring salvation to people? then you need to use scripture and preach Jesus and repentance. It really is that simple. Yet we often try to complicate it by adding our own fancy words. But people need the word Jesus. Not you or any fancy words you try to come up with. And that is what this Ethiopian man needed. And Philip knew it. As we continue on, the Ethiopian is ready to respond in obedience to all he's heard. Verse 36, as they went along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, look, water, what prevents me from being baptized? And Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God. And he ordered that the chariot stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip as well as the eunuch, and he baptized him. Now, verse 37 is not recorded in all Bibles because this verse was added later, and some translations remove it altogether. This is why it is written with bars on either side of it. But all that verse 37 does is remind us of the importance of asking confirmation from the believer at baptism to hear them publicly declare what they believe. So we're not going to argue whether or not that should be in the text because it is clear from this passage as a whole that the eunuch understood all that Philip taught him from the scriptures and he was ready to respond in obedience through baptism. Because of God's sovereignty seen in this whole situation, all of the sudden they come upon a body of water and the eunuch asks, what prevents me from getting baptized? Philip didn't just preach Jesus and explain the scriptures. He also helped disciple this man to take his next step in following Jesus by obedience and baptism. Jesus himself was baptized as an example for us to follow. We finish up this passage with both Philip and the eunuch moving forward in their faith as they followed Jesus. Verse 39 and 40. 
When they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away, and the eunuch no longer saw him, but went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he kept preaching the gospel to all the cities until he came to Caesarea. So as soon as the eunuch comes out of the water, Philip is gone. But it says the eunuch went on his way rejoicing. Where was he going? Back to Ethiopia, taking the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ with him to another continent. Think about it. The church and apostles are all still hanging around Jerusalem until the persecution begins and then they start to scatter. Philip goes to the outcasts of Samaria and is reaching many people for Jesus, but then the Holy Spirit takes him to the desert to reach one. And that one goes and takes the gospel of Jesus to another continent. That is awesome, friends. With a painful nudge from God through persecution, the gospel starts to spread, and not just to surrounding communities or cities, but to other countries and continents. That is exactly what Jesus had told them to do in Acts 1.8 when he said, You shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the remotest part of the earth. God sent Philip away from a thriving ministry to multiple people and led him into the desert to reach one. Philip was obedient to go, even though he didn't know why he was going or who he was going to. Did you know there was someone else who also sought out the one? It was Jesus. Remember when he was hanging on the cross, dying to pay the punishment for your and my sin? There were two criminals on either side of him. The one kept making fun of him and telling Jesus to save himself and them, but the other one saw Jesus for who he really was and himself for who he was. Luke 23, 39-43 reminds us of what happened. One of the criminals who were hanged there was hurling abuse at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other responded and rebuking him said, Do you not even fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed are suffering justly, for we are receiving what we deserve for our crimes. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he was saying, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. This criminal knew that his only way to heaven was through Jesus. Even on the cross, Jesus took the time for one, and he also thought of you. You were the one that Jesus left his perfect home in heaven for to come down to this sinful earth and die to bring you eternal life. He was willing to come and die for the many, but also the one. Are you willing to leave everything in your life behind 
and go share Jesus with one? That is what Jesus and Philip did. It might be hard, but it will be worth it. You see, Jesus and Philip didn't live for the things of this world. They both lived with eternity in mind. They thought of the many, but they also thought of the one. And they were willing to go. Sometimes you won't always understand why or where God is leading you until later after the fact. And that was partially true for my family when God moved us to Traverse City three years ago. Our story in moving there reminds me of the story of Philip. My husband Jonathan and I didn't know anyone when we moved to Traverse City, Michigan. And I had many conversations with God about why he took us away from a thriving ministry to bring us to a place where I felt really alone the first few months. It was difficult for me living in Traverse City at the beginning, and I honestly struggled with some depression at first. I didn't have any mom friends up there. But that quickly changed as God revealed part of his plan for bringing us there. Early on, Jonathan and I met a young new couple to East Bay Calvary Church where Jonathan was the worship pastor. And one of the things we were asked to do when we came to the church was to start and lead a small group. Now, we wanted to be strategic with our group and invite people who were new in their faith and to the church to be a part of it. And we also wanted it to actually be a small group so that we could get to know each other well and be able to care for each other. The first family we invited was the family whose dad had just joined the worship team and he was excited to be part of a small group, but his wife was hesitant. We asked them along with one other family that was new to the church to commit to just four weeks and then they could decide if it was a good fit for them or not. No hard feelings. I remember that first week, the wife being in our living room, and she was very quiet. She wasn't sure about this whole small group thing. At the end of the four weeks, in hearing each other's testimonies, we asked these two family families if they would like to continue. But by this time, we had already started to bond with each other, as well as our eight kids in total. So the answer was an easy yes from everyone. A small group soon became the highlight of our week. One thing Jonathan and I had said from the beginning is that we wanted to study scripture together. So we decided to read through and study the book of Matthew as a group. We would all read a chapter at home during the week and then come together to discuss what we had read and study it more deeply. Now at the beginning, Jonathan and I took turns leading the Bible study, helping them to see how scripture pointed to Jesus and how it applied to our lives. But after a few months, we decided to start handing off leadership and having each person take turns leading the study. And I was amazed at how I had overlooked things in scripture because they were passages I had read and known my whole life. But as I approached them with new eyes like my friends, they started to point out things to Jonathan and I that we hadn't noticed before. And I watched 
as God specifically took this hesitant mom at the beginning, who soon became one of my closest friends and gave her confidence as she studied the scriptures and even took turns leading the group discussion. Fast forward two years later, as God opened the door and revealed to us that he wanted us to go back to West Virginia to our previous church and continue serving him there in the valley, my heart felt torn. This small group of friends had become such a treasure for Jonathan and I, and it was the hardest to tell them that we were going to be leaving and moving back to the valley. But the night we told our friends, while their reaction was somewhat sad, they actually said they knew all along that eventually we would be going back to West Virginia. And they totally supported us. I honestly believe that God brought us to Traverse City, Michigan for the specific reason of discipling these newer followers of Jesus, especially through COVID, because three quarters of the time that we lived in Michigan was during COVID. The greatest blessing that we were given came one of our last Sundays at the church. I'd never seen this before in a church, but was so thankful for how the pastor went about baptisms. He would specifically have the person who discipled the one being baptized be the one to baptize them. And this seemed right to me in so many ways. This couple who became such close friends decided that they wanted to take their next step in following Jesus and obediently follow his example through baptism. They specifically wanted to be baptized in Lake Michigan and asked Jonathan and I to do it. And that, my friends, was my greatest blessing in Traverse City and what I believe is the reward of discipleship. We baptized our friends Tyler and Amber Lane together in Lake Michigan as they gave us the best going away gift, as we celebrated their public declaration of being followers of Jesus through joyful tears. And a couple weeks later, God took us away and back to the valley. Now, even though we live nine hours away, it didn't take long for Tyler and Amber to come visit us last fall and then again a few weeks ago. And though it is hard being away from our special brothers and sisters in Christ from Traverse City, it was just the other week that Amber sent a message randomly telling us that as she watched our service online, she knew why God took us back to the valley to share his love with the people there. And having her encouragement and support continues to bless me. Discipleship should have a multiplying effect like dominoes or a rock that you throw into the water and then watch as several ripples appear. Just a few months ago, I got to witness a young woman who I discipled as a teenager in West Virginia and is now a young mom, watch her disciple her own friend, even using some of my devotionals. And through more joyful tears, I got to watch the reward for her as she helped baptize her friend with Jonathan this past February. Look at your own life right now. Are you multiplying disciples for Jesus? 
It may be your own children. Or maybe you know there is someone or a people group that God keeps bringing to your mind telling you to reach out and start discipling them. Some of you listening maybe are older and you may feel like you've put in your time. You're done. You're ready to retire. But I want to lovingly remind you there is no retiring from the Great Commission. Living it out may look different from your younger years, but we are always called to keep going in whatever way God shows us until he returns. Then there are some of you who may be in the thick of it with babies and toddlers and you're exhausted. God may be telling you to be faithful in going in this season just to your family and kids and your spouse and sharing Jesus with them. But don't let it limit you just to that if he's calling you to even something greater. Sometimes you're going can change as your kids get older. And maybe there's some of you listening who are teens right now. You are at a wonderful age for God to use. Don't think you have to be grown up to go and share the gospel. Live it out in your everyday life. Share Jesus with your friends and be willing to go and share him through different ministry opportunities. Live in obedience to Jesus' parting command and go do it now. Eternity is on the line and we don't know when Jesus will return. It could be any day. Will he find you being faithful to his command? Some people would say and have said to me, Precious, why leave your hometown in Wisconsin? Why leave your parents, your siblings? Why raise your kids away from their grandparents? And one of my favorites, and why West Virginia? And I would say, why not? My life is not my own, but it belongs to Jesus. God made it clear to me in college during a missions conference that he wasn't asking me to go overseas to serve him like so many of us fear, but he wanted to use me somewhere else in the United States. Was I willing to go? And my answer was yes. Whenever he calls or asks me to go, I want to always say yes. Even if it's just being faithful to teach my kids about him or maybe go to my next door neighbor. Going and sharing Jesus looks different for each person. For some of you, it may mean staying right where you are and being faithful. But for others... It may literally mean leaving and moving to another state or country to share Jesus with someone, and it might even be only one person. But don't ever doubt what your obedience to share Jesus with one can do. The outcome of Philip's obedience was the gospel being taken to another continent. And don't let fear especially when it comes to your family and maybe how they will respond, stop you from boldly sharing Jesus and following him. 
often when I mention to people taking bold steps of faith, I hear a lot of fear coming out in their responses. When we were going through our candidating process to move up to the church in Michigan, we asked our kids if we should fly up for a quick weekend or if they wanted to all go along with us. And it was our oldest daughter, Zoe, who said she thought we should all go as a family because this decision affected all of us. And she was right. So we did. But even moving back to the valley has been an adjustment for our kids all over again. Getting used to a new home, a new school, new friends, and it's not always easy. And as parents, I think we want to make things easy for our kids. It was our Zoe who was really struggling with some anxiety and health issues when we first moved back. And there were many times I felt like God, what did we just do? Did we really hear you plainly? Is this really what you wanted us to do? But I remind myself, there will always be challenges in following God's plan for your life. But that's okay. He is always with me, and I remind my kids of that too. We can't let fear stop us from boldly sharing Jesus. You know, the going for me during COVID meant overcoming fear and insecurity of what people would think and being faithful to write devotionals about what God was revealing to me through the study of scripture. And then I shared it through social media with people around the world, people I have never even met. And it has been such a blessing to converse with brothers and sisters, encouraging each other in God's truth. Just last month, I had a brother in Christ from a different state reach out to thank Jonathan and I for sharing God's truth through the devotionals and messages of the Four Initiative. (laughs) Friends, don't get too comfortable where you're at. As a follower of Jesus, remember that this world is not your home. You're just passing through. You never know what God can do through your simple act of obedience to go. So how about you? What does it look like for you to go and step out of your comfort zone? Will your answer be yes? Remember that when you go, You never go alone. If I could leave you with two words for the end of this message, they would be, speak Jesus. Don't forget how powerful the name of Jesus is. And Jesus is not just a name. He is a man. The perfect God-man who took on human flesh, died and rose again to bring you eternal life. Jesus is the way to God the Father. It is in Jesus' name that people were healed, raised from the dead, had demons cast out, blind were made to see, broken lives were made whole, addictions are broken, marriages are restored, people's past were and are redeemed, and it is in Jesus' name that all people are saved from an eternal death to an eternal life. So keep speaking Jesus. That is what Philip did.
Do you want to see the church grow rapidly and revival break out? I believe that when you speak Jesus, the church will grow and repentance and salvation will naturally happen. When you are faithful to speak Jesus, the Holy Spirit will do the rest of the work. I want to pray a prayer of blessing over you as we close. Father God, maker of heaven and earth, we need you. We need your boldness to share your gospel truth and speak Jesus like never before. Father, will you reveal to each person listening how and where you are asking them to go share Jesus? Help us to be obedient to your great commission to go and make disciples of all nations. Thank you for your faithfulness and promise to always go with us. And now I pray for you from Ephesians 3, 16 through 21, that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us for today's teaching. The Four Initiative exists to help you follow Jesus and find purpose. They support the church by providing gospel-centered resources that take you deeper in your relationship with God and with others. So for more resources and teaching, visit us at www.forinitiative.com and consider subscribing so you don't miss our next episode. Thanks for being with us. See you next time.